Coming up, readings beyond the raffle and Theoryland approved conjecture. Deep dive into the spells and scrolls of nerd culture. Absorb Stormlight. Home sympathy. Arnas, Sayadar, and Sayadin. This is Phantology. You may have heard of us. What's up, Fantasy Book fans? This is Steven, your host from Phantology Podcast, along with my lifelong friend, Ben. And today we have an extra special guest. We have Shauna Lawless, author of The Children of Gods and Fighting Men, due out in about three weeks at recording time. I I think that's right, Shauna, right at the beginning of September? Yes. First of September, um, everywhere apart from America. And in America, it's it's the first of September for the ebook but the hardback is available on the 1st of November. Okay, so us Americans have to wait a little bit longer for the, the actual hard copy, but uh, you can get the ebook. And then audiobook, are we thinking same time? Yes, it's September some stage. It was meant to be the 1st of September, um, but there's a little bit of a delay, um, but hopefully only a few weeks. And we were luckily, lucky enough to get an advanced copy and uh, I've, I've finished the book as of yesterday. I was excited to kind of get through the, the last few pages and I quite enjoyed it. So I'm really excited to talk to you about this one. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I am about two thirds of the way through. So I am planning on finishing it this week. Yeah. Shame, shame on me. Shame on <laughs> but th- that ensures our audience that there will be no spoilers. So because I will be upset if there's spoilers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. This is not designed to be an overview of the plot or, or really, you know, too much of a, of a detailed review at all. I think we mostly just want to talk to you, Shauna, about uh, how, what, what your process in writing is and, and just kind of give people a general idea of what to expect. Okay. Yep. That's perfect. Okay. So that said, tell uh, the listeners what they can expect. Uh, what, what is unique about your book? There's a lot of kind of cool settings and, and characters and such. So, uh, yeah, tell us about it. Okay, so it's a historical fantasy. So it has um, a 10th century Ireland setting um, and a lot of historical characters are in my book, but there are also um, characters in my book who are from two magical tribes um, and their magical powers are derived from Irish mythology. And they are also interacting with the various historical characters um, in the story. So 10th century Ireland, this is like, it's, it's like late 1900s AD, which- it's 900s, 900s. Yeah, sorry, 900s, not, yeah, not 1900s, <laughs> right. So this must be, I, this is not a, this is not a usual setting. It's a time period that I personally don't know much about. So I think that's one thing we're really interested in, in hearing about, like, uh, this must be a, a passion project for you, right? You're kind of a historical student and a big fan of this time period, obviously from Ireland. So, um, what was the what was the um, inspiration, or, or why did you decide to set a book at this time? Well, I think um, if I look at Irish history and mythology, it's inspired 
a lot of great stories, um, especially in fantasy. You know, I, I can see Irish mythology in Tolkien, you know, like Robert Jordan's books, uh, John Gwynne's books. You know, I can see Irish mythology mm. there. And I sort of thought it was time to use Irish history and mythology as the actual setting as opposed to just the inspiration. Um, I think in a lot of fantasy books, um, you get med medieval Britain as the sort of setting, shall yeah. we say, um, mm -hmm. certainly medieval Europe. But Ireland at this time was very different to the rest of Europe. It's quite distinct in its culture. Um, Christianity has come over. People have converted, but not very well. Um, the pagan belief system is still very strong at this time. And so for me, it was quite exciting to use Ireland as a backdrop because I know mm -hmm. people don't know it very well. Mm -hmm. And so it was something sort of similar, like it's not too different, but it's also new. And it's the new stuff that I find quite interesting. And then in terms of the Irish mythology, um, I think a lot of people know Irish folklore which would be like leprechauns and fairies yeah. and Darby mm -hmm. O'Gill and the little mm -hmm. people. Um, but that isn't Irish mythology. Irish mythology is older than that. And so I also, I love that. I've loved that for ever since I can remember. So for me, combining the two offered something kind of maybe a bit unique, but mm -hmm. something that I'm excited mm -hmm. about, you know, and I think when you write, you need to write for yourself first. Yeah. Um, I don't think I could ever really write to markets or to what is, you know, in right now. I think you would never enjoy that process. So that was definitely why I chose the Irish setting and the Irish mythology as the backdrop. Hmm. Yeah, that's really good to hear. I mean, like, because I know that you kind of run a blog where you talk about like a lot of Irish mythology as well, right? So like, um, is this something that you knew kind of had like an audience going into it or is it just something like I'm interested in it so I'm going to assume that other people will be as well? Well Irish mythology lots of people in Ireland are really into it um, uh -huh. they really enjoy mm. it I obviously outside Ireland not so much um, yeah. but I think the people who do like it really like it and yeah. if there is that passion there I think you know, more people could really enjoy Irish mythology if they just had the chance um, to read it and to access it. Um, I think in terms of accessibility, Irish mythology is a little bit harder than Greek mm, yeah. or, or Norse. Um, I think, you know, it's not like there's just one book that you can read. Um, there's lots of stories. Some stories are the same story, but told differently depending on what uh, document you're reading. So I knew all that, you know, I've been reading Irish mythology for years. So I'm trying to, in my blog, at least to make it a bit more accessible and understandable yeah. for people who aren't from Ireland or don't know anything about it. That's cool. Hmm. So from a historical perspective, this is a really interesting time for Ireland because it's this intermingling of the Vikings that are coming over um, with, the, with the traditional Irish people. So tell us a little bit more about maybe just about that time period and why it was so important for Ireland. Okay, so Ireland has never really been invaded recently. So in England, you have had the Romans have come over mm. and then they have left. Ireland, the Romans never came. So mm. the Vikings were the first um, invaders that Ireland had had for, for quite a period of time. Um, but Ireland is very much a war tribal society. 
So when the Vikings come, the Vikings initially don't get any land. It's not like in England and Scotland where they are taking over quite big portions um, of the country. Mm. But in Ireland, they give the Vikings ports. So Mm. it's very small pieces of land. But in these ports, the Vikings who stay build up these massive markets. Um, They're trading everything. Um, They're trading goods down from Norway into Europe and goods from Europe up into England and Ireland and into Norway. So suddenly the port of Dublin and also Waterford and Wexford to a lesser extent become these huge economic hubs. And suddenly Ireland has a lot of money or there's a lot of wealth that is coming into the, mm. into the country. And so rather than the Irish fighting off the Vikings the way um, it happens in England, they are more trying to marry their children into the Viking families Mm -hmm. and so what you get in Dublin at the time of my book is that a lot of the Vikings who live in Dublin are actually now also Irish they have they're like from mixed marriages and so you have almost like a new culture is emerging Um, and I find that very interesting and then also because of the wealth um, of these ports they all are in the south of Ireland and traditionally all the power in Ireland had been in the north. So suddenly mm. the, the power of balance, sorry, the balance of power in Ireland starts to shift. The, the, the kind of power base in the north starts to crumble and the kings in the south are starting to become more, more um, powerful. And so that's why there's such a time of upheaval and it's such an interesting time to, to study. That's really cool because you kind of see that in the book, but it's from like a very character centric perspective, right? Like, so um, you kind of get a sense that there's like these tectonic shifts happening, but you're also just like seeing it from these, you know, two main point, like viewpoint characters. So it's, it's cool to hear you talk about like this grand, like sweeping changes from like a historical perspective. And then Mm -hmm. to think about from the perspective of the characters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the the character, well, the two uh, POV characters I have probably aren't so attuned to the economic shift in Mm -hmm. Ireland but they sure. feel the shift um, yeah. because they are seeing that the wars um, in Ireland are increasing and Ireland feels a bit more chaotic and they are then trying to survive in this Ireland that is dangerous. Mm. Whilst also, you know, trying to, to succeed and to do what they want to do. Yeah. And one of the things that they notice a lot is the, the religious shifting as well. That's happening at the time, right? Yes. So, um, well, it's not really a spoiler, but there is one scene um, in my story where in, in Dublin, in Dublin, they can't decide what burial to give mm-hmm. someone. And that was, I did that specifically because I wanted to really ground the reader in that this isn't a heavily converted country. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of people think Ireland is this very Catholic country now and I think it surprises people when I say, but in the 10th and 11th century, Ireland was actually like, it was not very Christian in terms of belief systems. Um, Rome certainly saw Ireland as in need of massive reform at this time. Um, There was huge issues. They weren't really following any of the doctrine. Um, And so I sort of find it interesting to think, well, if you're living in Ireland at this time, you've sort of converted, but you have all these pagan beliefs what actually are you doing? You know, what yeah. do you really believe in? What 
are you like how would you bury bury someone and I wanted to ground the reader in that that the religious conflict isn't the issue here that's all kind of up in the air and people are going with the flow a little bit Mm. yeah it's not like the last kingdom where um kind of the English and the Vikings are fighting and it's very much a religious issue Um, that's not the case in Ireland so I wanted that's that's the difference that I want to kind of let the reader know quite quickly the sense that I got was that like everybody just kind of like has a pragmatic belief where it's like what's going to benefit them the best in like in that uh given situation so I could kind of see that where it's just kind of like everybody's just kind of it's a like a a amalgamation of like a bunch of different um beliefs to kind of like serve individuals at the time exactly yes because we know um certainly initially when the Vikings began to convert, it was really um, so they could trade with the Christian countries at the time. Mm-hmm. It wasn't always necessarily that they believed it. So you have to feed that into it as well. Um, yeah. You know, when people convert, it's not always, um, you know, kind of a religious awakening. Sometimes it is for pragmatic reasons. Yeah. So that's all the actual history. But this is a historical fantasy. Yeah. So <laughs> to what extent... Uh, do you follow the history? What uh, what kind of changes did you have to make? So I think I follow the history pretty accurately. I haven't deviated too much. There's some name changes I had to make because there were a lot of Olafs um, <laughs> and I didn't want there to be three in one story. That would be confusing. Um, <laughs> and then I tightened the timeline ever so slightly so there wasn't um, as big a time gaps um, between the events. But that is it. So in terms of the fantasy, it was really that on top of all the wars I'm talking about that are historical, there is a much older war going on behind the scenes, mm. um, which is from mythology, where there are descendants of the Tuatha who um, kind of used to be the kings of Ireland. And the Fomorians is another magical tribe who also um, had a king, had kings of Ireland. And they mm. didn't like each other. They fought in our mythologies and so we're kind of, I wanted to bring that like feud into the story as well. So if, if I were to Google like these characters names and like history would I like see spoilers for the book? Yeah. Okay that's <laughs> yeah. that's really what I was wondering. I'm like dang I really like I'm interested in the history now but I don't want to look it up because I don't want to you know see like who wins or whatever so um okay that's that's good to know. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and so this is a this is a planned trilogy correct? Yes. First book is obviously out. Um, I've read through it. Uh, so I'm, I'm guessing that, and maybe tell me if this is not accurate, but you, you probably have like a set window of historical events that you want to cover. And so we're just kind of through the opening act here in the first book. Yes. So um, yeah, that's true. There is, like I didn't want to tell you and spoil it, but there is a big, big battle on the horizon. That would be a fairly well-known battle in Ireland. Um, that I am leading up to. And that's okay. where the third book will get to. One thing I think is interesting with the battles, which uh, I think lends a lot of historical accuracy, I, I assume, is that uh, they're big battles, but it's like they have a couple thousand guys mm, fighting yeah. on each side. And which I imagine was probably true back then, like there weren't nearly as many people in the world. <laughs> Yeah. No, it, it, exactly. Um, and also, um, it is a, a warrior culture, but, you know, it was also, you know, the people are farmers and they look after cattle and 
their family people. So not everyone is trained to fight. Um, but in previous kind of centuries, probably the battles would have been even smaller. It's the, the introduction of the Vikings and mercenaries who come and fight really then start to, to grow the armies as well. So um, the army that we're, sorry, the battle we're leading up to, you'll see like, it, you know, things start to grow in terms of numbers as well. It is, it is interesting to kind of see that like historical perspective. Cause like so much of the time you're like, oh, this army amassed tens of thousands of people. And you're like, okay, I guess I can believe that. But when you're like, okay, this army has 2,500 people and this army only has 2000 people like that's kind of, and the, like, so that army has the advantage, you know, that's kind of, it's cool to get that kind of realistic perspective here. Yeah, I know. Um, sorry, just one of the edits I had was about the numbers and it was uh, also about the size of Dublin and the editor couldn't believe that Dublin was so small mm, and that the numbers mm. were this size. But Ireland is a small country, you know, yeah. um, it is accurate that, you know, I, I think that these would be the numbers in these situations because, yeah, like, I mean, how do you feed all these people? Right. Um, yeah. You know, if they're constantly at war the whole time and just you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work. Yeah. I can't remember which book this was, but recently I read something where they were fighting and there were like 300,000 people on one side and just like yeah. millions on the other, something like that. So that's kind of the traditional, like crazy epic fantasy battles just with millions on each side. But this is yeah. it's kind of fun. To, it seems like it's more of a, almost more of a personal conflict when, uh, you get the viewpoint from the from the direct ca characters who are in charge, but then they only have like a few hundred on each side. It it, it maybe grounds it in a little more realism, which um, even though there's a lot of magic in your book, it does seem like there's a lot of uh, realistic character things happening too. I like that. Yes, exactly. And then also with the battle scenes, you know, um, there's people there who are observing the battle. Um, and if you had loads and loads of people, then the question would be, well, how can they see what's going on? The battlefield would be huge. So yeah. I wanted it to be intimate because obviously you're reading those scenes and it's from two different perspectives. So you know who's on each side and hopefully mm -hmm. you like people on both sides. And so, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, I wanted to ramp up that sort of tension as well. Yeah. Okay. So it's not all fighting. Uh, there is some fighting. <laughs> Actually, it's it's... There's a there's a smaller percentage of the book that's fighting. It's it's really I would say if I had to describe it, I'd say it's more of a character book. So your two main POV characters, um, tell us about them, and uh, well, I'll, I'll let you tell us about them rather than than I then I'll try to explain them. So my first female character is Gormla. So she's actually an historical character as well. Mm -hmm. She did exist, and history was not kind to her. Um, the, mm. the poets and bards at the time didn't like her <laughs> very much. Um, really? Okay, because I liked her. Well, um, they don't like her because she's a schemer. And so mm. she doesn't fit kind of um, expectations of what a queen should be at the time, um, which, you know, obviously should be the king, okay. should be all the decisions. So she, she is seen from that lens. So initially when I thought of Gormla, um, there's a lot of, uh, historical fiction at the minute where perhaps women from the past who have bad reputations are getting their own stories and you're seeing it from their own perspective and they're being drawn in a more sympathetic light but Gormla sort of decided to do the opposite and to make her worse mm. so she mm. is the ultimate schemer 
Um, she wants her son to be king and that is her aim and she is adamant that's going to happen. But she is also a Fomorian descendant, so she has fire magic that uh, she has to hide. Um, the descendants of the two Dedanon have basically killed all the Fomorians apart from a few and they have stayed hidden to, so that they are tricking the two Dedanon into believing that they're all dead. So she has safety as so long as she can conceal that she has this fire magic. So that is also important to her. Um, and then on the other side, we have uh, Thola, who is a descendant of the two Dedanon. And she has been probably a little bit unhappy with her life. And she is definitely scared of the, the mortals who live in Ireland. But for, I'm not going to give away the reason, but she has to start to interact um, with the mortals of Ireland and sort of question her belief system as to why she has always been afraid of them. So is Foda also a historical figure? Is she? No. Okay. I, did, I didn't think so. Yeah. No, she, okay. she, is, she is fictional, as are all the descendants of the two Dedanon. Um, the two uh, or three, sorry, from Fomorian characters you meet in the book are all real historical characters. Hmm. So that's Gordon and her brother and mother. Are they real in the sense that they were, like, are, are they Fomorian in the legends? Or did you apply the, that kind of secret backstory to them? Yes, I've applied, this is their secret backstory. So in okay. the history that we have, they're just um, normal people uh, or kings or queens or, you know, part of the royal families of various um, uh, royal families within Leinster. Um, but yes, yeah, so this is a secret backstory. And it's sort of a motivation as to why they are scheming so much. That's cool. Okay, so pronounce pronounce the, the first character's name for me again. Because I am going to butcher it. <laughs> Gormla. Gorm- okay. That, that's not how I would have pronounced it. But, well, uh, everyone with, with... pronounces it Gormfleeth. But that's yeah. why I have the pronunciation guide at the start. I, I, know, I know there's a pronunciation <laughs> guide, but yeah, I, I should have paid more attention to that. <laughs> so she reminded me a lot of Cersei Lannister. Did you, did you get that vibe? Have you heard that at all? Um, a little bit. I've, I've heard other people say that. Um, except I think, well, I well, I think Cersei Lannister is a great character and she's very complex. But as we get to Feast with Crows and Dance with Dragons, she isn't as clever as she thinks mm. she is. Mm-hmm. I think it would be fair to say, like, she starts to make mistakes, obviously. Um, don't want to spoil Game of Thrones for anyone. <laughs> right, right. Um, but um, she does make mistakes. She's not, not as clever as she thinks she is. With Gormla, I, I wanted to make her clever I wanted her to be you know she is much smarter than all these men that she's having to contend with and it's um she's sort of having to fight a little bit to have her voice heard dang that's interesting the part of the book I'm at she is having a hard time with stuff so yeah that's yeah so that's uh that's interesting because another difference with Ireland is that women cannot rule um, mm. It's within their law system. So if you go to England at the time um, or after, you know, there are female queens. And so females can have power in their own rights. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. But in Ireland, there's like there's a subtle difference is that women do not they never rule. There is never That's any issue with um men taking over because it's not just the firstborn son that can be the next king. It's a much yeah. wider pool of candidates. So that is why you know probably she has to fight a lot harder. Yeah, be heard. There's no sort of um, history of women really taking the reins. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, that probably explains why she wants her son to be king so much too. Like, yeah, because it's kind of like a proxy for her power. Exactly. Yeah, it's, mm. it it offers freedom for her um, if he is king because yeah. she sort of thinks she'll be left alone to do what she wants. So, one of the things that I really enjoyed about the book was um, you did a great job of showing the people on both sides of the conflict and getting me to like them in some ways but dislike them in other ways. And then there's all this anticipation for when different groups meet up. And then when they do, you're kind of like, oh, which side do I cheer for? And so it just kind of gave me a lot of, a lot of distress as I was trying to decide like, oh, who do I want to come out on top on these conflicts? Because <laughs> I like them in some ways, but I don't like them in other ways. So uh, I, I don't know if that's a, a question as much, but uh, how, how, did, how, did you, how did you do that? What was your, what was your thought process in trying to... Uh, make me specifically really uh kind of connect to both sides of the story I sort of think you have to you know I personally don't like stories over much where there's like the bad guy and there's a good guy and I I don't actually overly like leading respect like the POV chapters from someone I really don't like Mm -hmm. um because I don't I don't find it interesting to read kind of what's happening to them because I don't like them um, so for me, it was it's like yeah, it's a fine balancing act. Um, they're living in hard times, brittle times. Gormla especially makes bad or not bad decisions, horrible decisions um, for other mm-hmm. people. But I didn't want you to hate her either. I wanted you to kind of feel sympathy for her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, you have Fola, who's a much gentler character, um, someone that's really quite selfless and you know, really wants to protect her family, but um, can be passive at times. And other people within the descendant uh, group, not all of them are nice either. Um, and I don't know, if that's the sort of story I enjoy. Um, I would definitely say Game of Thrones is, a, is definitely something that I have been inspired by. Um, and I think that's one of the things I love about that show is you know, you love the Starks and you hate the Lannisters, but then you sort of like the Lannisters. And then you yeah. have those things uh-huh. where characters that you know hate each other, but you both like um, could potentially mate. And for me, that's where like a huge amount of tension can come from. Well, one of the reasons I love your book is uh, like, I haven't read Game of Thrones. I've watched the movie, but like you definitely have like a, redempt- a redemption arc for a couple of the characters. Whereas your book, there's not like a, it's not a redemption arc because there's not like a single event that like makes you dislike a character. It's like, they're, they're just like different shades of gray the whole time, but they're not trying to redeem themselves. And they're not trying to like, like you're not actively trying to like have them do things that cause you to dislike them either. So anyway, that's just kind of like an observation. I think that yours is a little bit more realistic than having like, you know, a super like terrible, somebody do something super terrible and then like spend the rest of the series trying to like make you like them again. Yeah, no, no, that I haven't done. They haven't done anything. I suppose well, they've done some bad things, but nothing too awful. Yeah. Um, but you know, they're they're acting within the society that they 
um are in you know yeah. the men are pretty terrible too and sometimes mm-hmm. you know when Gorman especially is making decisions you know she's yeah. making them and probably the kings would have made the same decision as her yeah you know so um but yeah so I, I do I want you to kind of like both sides potentially not like both sides because as the story continues um that will ramp up so I know uh, you have some concern over uh events getting too dark and and, and family reading it and, and and being shocked by uh what, what you've decided to write honestly I I didn't think it was I didn't think it was that uh terribly violent or dark or anything I would say it's maybe kind of on the level like a, a John Gwynn type book where there's a lot of there's a lot of violence at times um there's not always there's fairly realistic characters so i i personally don't think you need to worry uh terribly over over much about that but uh i mean i i would guess uh there should probably be just kind of like a general content warning to people reading the book like maybe not your young teenagers but other than that uh i i, I don't think I, I don't think your grandmother will be too <laughs> horribly shocked (laughs) well no that's okay I think um whenever I tell people it's um Irish mythology based um some people do jump straight to Darby O'Gill and the little people and then they say to me oh my son or my daughter would love that and then I'm like how old is your son or daughter and (laughs) eight or nine and I'm like no no yeah it is an adult Mm. fantasy book um you know so yes yeah not children I, w- I would agree. I think late late teens would probably uh, get the most out of it, like from then on, you know. But yeah, I think we've kind of, at least I can speak for myself, have been a little like desensitized <laughs> to some violence in the fantasy books. But um, I think that like I heard this phrase on Reddit the other day of like post grimdark, where it's like there's still like dark things that are happening, but it's not there's not so much like dark things happening for like shock value or anything. It's like okay, this thing happened, but it's not like it's like something that probably will have realistically happened and we're not going to dwell on it that much. And that's kind of like a similar feel so far that I've experienced with your book. It's like, mm. yeah, I, yeah. So that's, that's yeah. where I would put it. I think that's probably fair. I think, um, you know, the world's quite dark at the minutes. And yeah. I think kind of when you want to read or kind of be entertained and relax, mm-hmm. you want things to feel real, but you don't necessarily want to go to very dark places um that's how I feel at the minute anyway yeah, uh, what I'm watching or reading so yeah so it's not um you're not going to come away from this I think feeling like sad <laughs> yeah yeah okay Shauna so this is your first book that's been published uh tell us a little bit about you as an author so uh what's your writing process like what's been what's been kind of your your journey to becoming a published author um, well I wrote loads when I was younger um, like six seven onwards you know I read a lot um, and I wrote they were my two hobbies um, and when I was a child it was mostly short stories I would write um, and then when I was 19 20 I wrote my first novel and I didn't really submit it very much I think I sent it off to maybe two people um, but I gave it to some family to read and everybody liked it it's like a middle grade fantasy book is how I would describe it but then kind of, you know, finished university and I went traveling and got married and had kids. And so that was certainly a period of time where I went back to short stories. As and when I had a bit of time, I didn't write often at that stage. But when I turned 30, um, my husband's uncle, who had read my first book, 
um, said to me, you know, well, where's your next book? Um, and I was like, well, I don't have time to write. I'm kind of busy working, have kids, had two kids at that stage. And he was like, oh, that's not an excuse. You know, you're really good at it. You should, you should do it. And so that did stick with me, even though it kind of annoyed me a little bit at the time. But the next night um, I opened my laptop and I started writing kind of quite regularly then after that, because I sort of was like, no, I, I missed writing. You know, it's something I enjoyed. And I was yeah. like, I need to, even well, I carved out an hour every other night was sort of my routine mm. the first while anyway. And so has this always been as has the Gale song trilogy is this always been what you've been working towards or there have been a bunch of projects and this is kind of what you enjoyed the most? There was a previous novel I wrote before this and there was it was the same sort of story. There was the descendants of the two of Dan and there was Fomorians and it was there was one storyline that was set in the uh, 11th century, 12th century Ireland. But then I had another storyline that was set in the future. So it's kind of like an Outlander type vibe. No, it wasn't really like Outlander, but people think that because they think, you know, it's time travel, uh, but it, yeah, it wasn't yeah. time travel. Okay. Um, but it just was too long and it didn't really work. But I did send it off to a few agents. One agent also, you could ask for feedback. Um, so I asked him for feedback just at that stage I knew it wasn't really publishable but I just wanted to know kind of really what he thought and he said to me look the future stuff was okay lots of people are doing that yours wasn't the best but the stuff in the past was really good and he was like if you could do a book that was just set in the past you know I think that would really work because you have all the research and all the mythology and I haven't really read any other books like that so that is what I did. I'd already outlined the children of gods and fighting men at, before that conversation. So I suppose that really just gave me the motivation mm. to be like, right, this is the right path. This is the next book I should be working on. And it took me about a year to write it from that point. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah. And like, what made you like, so had you always kind of wanted to do the traditional publishing route, like where, because uh, like, obviously a lot of people are doing kind of self-publishing right now, but it's a, I mean, big accomplishment to be, you know, to be published like this as well. So um, has that been your goal? Yes. Uh, when I was younger and you know, avid reader, there wasn't self-publishing then. You know, my memories um, when I'm younger were of like going to the bookstore and yeah. being really excited mm-hmm. to buy something new. Um, but I did think about self-publishing for this. Whenever I first sent the children of gods and fighting men out I did obviously get rejections um and some of the feedback I got was um you know if you just moved out of Ireland and made it epic fantasy um (laughs) that would be better or move it to Westeros (laughs) yes if you moved it to Westeros and changed some of the people's names it would work and then other people were the opposite and they were like if you just kept the historical characters and then got rid of the magic then that would work and it would you know so I was sort of getting different feedback and I thought well maybe I would self-publish um there's loads of brilliant self-published books um it's as you know it's like rapidly um expanded Mm -hmm. in the last even like five years ten years yeah but I still even at that point would have preferred traditional publishing purely from the fact I'm really bad at technology. I'm really bad yeah. at art design, 
like cover but cover design would have been awful and I'm really also bad at making decisions for anything to do with myself <laughs> so I think self-publication would have been a very long process <laughs> and I was quite glad whenever head of Zeus you know uh, signs signed me on like they just deal with all that mm-hmm. which is good because they're the experts and I I don't know any mm. of that stuff I remember you also saying that uh, there at one point there was an agent or, or someone who wanted you to put more romance into your book. Yeah, Is, yeah, yeah, but you were able to uh, you, you were able to, to stick with your guns. There is there is some romance, and there's some there's some hints of some future romance that I'm interested to see how it yeah. bears out. Yeah, so it's not that I'm against romance, and there is there will be romance in the trilogy, but. I really didn't want this to be a, like a fantasy romance. And, and not that I don't like that genre, that that genre is brilliant and does very well as it should, but it just wasn't what I wanted to write. Um, and I think if I wanted, because I've got two female characters who are the leads, and I think if you want them to be believable as characters and you want people to root for them or dislike them, I really wanted it to be on their own merits. Mm, I didn't want people to like or dislike the couple or the relationship you know because you're going to be with these characters for a while um, for the trilogy Um, and so it was quite important to me that romance was not like a key thing not not that there isn't any and not that there won't be some but just initially no I wanted the characters to stand on their own yeah Yeah. I could definitely uh, I could definitely see some people shipping some characters after you know as they're reading or at the end of the first book I've got some ideas of what could happen but (laughs) (laughs) yeah I I think they do stand um on their own very well as 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 well yeah yeah um okay we have we have a few questions from people from discord really just all about your your writing process so one is uh how do you find a quiet time to write when when everyone is off to work in school do you stay up all night like Sanderson or David Weber, uh, what what works for you? Well, initially, um, it would be nighttime. It's when the kids are in bed and the house is quiet um, is when I would have done most of my writing. Um, Now that all my kids are in school, um, there are some days where I have the morning to write, but I am definitely more of a night person. I'm not amazing at concentrating first thing in the morning. So, but yeah, so it's a bit of both at the minute. It's a bit of when the kids are at school and in the evenings if I need to. Okay, let me combine these two into one question. So if you could start the whole process again, what would you do differently? And what's been the most surprising part of the whole process? I don't know if I actually combine those into into (laughs) one question, but um, respond to both, please. (laughs) Oh, uh, well, in terms of doing anything differently, I don't think I would have. You know, I think if I tried to write maybe a novel like this in my 20s um I don't think it would have been very good I think you need to live a little bit and travel a little Mm. bit and you know I think writing this book in my 30s was better for it um and then you know in terms of the pace that I kind of write at you know I can't change that so everything has been as it only could have been, if you make, if you yeah. understand, like, I, I don't think there's anything mm-hmm. I could have done differently. So there's nothing I would change. Um, yeah. Second question was, I can't remember. Sorry. The, the surprising, was there anything surprising in the whole process? Well, just getting signed was surprising <laughs> because um, I'd always, I sent off 
the, the previous book and had lots of rejection. Um, so then whenever um, I sent this book off, the first round I did, I didn't, I, I got some film manuscript requests um, and interesting small presses. But kind of after COVID, um, the vaccine bounce, I sent it out again. And at that stage, I had mm. then lots of interest. And that was really weird. Um, kind of, oh, you know, people like this now. <laughs> yeah. um, so that was that was really surprising and lots of fun and, you know, really cool. One thing that you just mentioned that I thought was really cool is like kind of like you said that your life experience kind of informs your writing. One thing I really liked about the book was how um, I don't want to give away too many spoilers, but one of the characters that is kind of in charge of a of a four to five to eight year old kind of throughout the series, and the like, like you can tell that you're a mom when you're writing that, right? Because like, <laughs> um, and I like I have a I have a four and a half year old daughter, and I could just like really see kind of like, okay, this is something that only a parent could write, like you know. Mm. So I I definitely see that like kind of shine through in your in your work is that you're writing about things that you're passionate about that you have experience with so i i appreciate yeah. that oh yeah no definitely because i've got three boys as well so yeah um they definitely feed into the, the character that you're talking <laughs> about yeah yeah um so what aspects of writing do you particularly particularly enjoy and feel are, are your strong suits and then what aspects of writing are, are more challenging i'm quite weird i like editing I like having the story there and uh -huh. then like trying to craft it and to, uh, I like, you know, I like to weave my stories because I've got the two POVs. I find that lots of fun mm. as, you know, how I can chapters sometimes mirror each other, even though they're two completely different characters, you know, um, sometimes Fola and Gormla are having similar uh, situations happen to them. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I like that. I like, kind of getting into the nitty gritty and also improving the language and making it flow. You know, the blank page is a bit more scary because, you know, you can think this is exactly how the story is going to go. And then sometimes the characters will not do what I ask them to do. And then you have to think, you know, well, yeah. how, <laughs> how are we going to get to like this milestone <laughs> here if you're not doing this? Um, so sometimes that can be a bit more like, not panic inducing, but, um, you know, kind of it can take days sometimes to kind of get yourself through mm. um little like knots um so, so yeah so that's that's kind of me when I write yeah <laughs> so it sounds like you're you're kind of a combination between the full discovery and the yeah. outliner and and almost for for this series almost by necessity because you <laughs> have historical events that you know you need to get to but the characters have to I guess like you said behave uh, with with what you want them to do yeah I, I think if this wasn't historical fiction I dread to think how long my books would be you know I think the timeline <laughs> has anchored me because it, it does it, it gives you the bones of the story and you sort of know what has to happen so it doesn't ever take me too long to fix things um, but yeah I'm not I'm not a strict um, what's the two it's pantser and plotter isn't isn't that the two yeah like gardeners or yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah. So I'm, um, I'm, I definitely don't like to plan too much because I think that's boring. Um, you've almost written the story. Yeah. Um, I think like discovery and um, letting the characters breathe is very important as well. 
Yeah, you can definitely see that in your book. Like, uh, like it's a very character-focused book, and it's a, the characters feel very believable, and that's I think a hallmark of uh, like a good like discovery writer. Like, so, so I guess I'm praising that part. Um, and it's it's interesting too to hear you like talk about how much you outline because it's like those two things don't often like come together, but when they do, they you know the results are really nice like this. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, what are some of your biggest influences? And it's it sounds like there there was another part of this question that was, are you a fantasy reader or writer first? But it kind of sounds like the answer might be might be both. And I know you've named off a few different books and series that you've read, but uh, what are some what what are some inspirations here? So in terms of reading, I would read a lot of fantasy and a lot of historical fiction. They're my two favorite genres. Mm-hmm. So uh, definitely uh, Game of Thrones, uh, The Road of the Rings. Um, I really like Mark Lawrence and John Gwynn. I like their sto- their prose and their stories. Mm-hmm. But like I read a lot of fantasy. You know, it's one of my it's my main hobby apart from writing is reading. Uh-huh. Um, and then in terms of historical fiction, um, I really like Bernard Cornwell, um, Hilary Mantel, and Ken Follett's The Pillars of the Earth series. Um, but I, I will read anything, you know, uh, I'm also would read books that kind of I haven't heard much about. I'm drawn to kind of time periods I don't know much about. Mm. Um, and I also like, I really like epic fantasy within the fantasy genre as well. I like kind of things to be big scope and lots of characters as well. Same. That's awesome. Yeah. Same here. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I think our listeners will hopefully agree with all of those things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, any interesting books recently that you've read? Oh, um, I've been reading the Red Queen's War series by Mark Lawrence. Right. So I'm nearly finished the second book in that. Um, and I read Empire of Silence recently as well. I've heard of that. Who writes that one? Christopher Rocchio, I think is how mm. you, you um, say okay. his last name. Um, so that's sci-fi, um, but it's very good. It's very like, accessible sci-fi. Um, I wouldn't be very good at anything that was too sciencey or <laughs> um, or hard sci-fi. Um, it would be mm-hmm. over my head. Um, but I really enjoyed those two books. Um, what did I read before then? Um, oh, I read The Empress of Salt and Fortune, um, which is a novella, and it's brilliant. Um, I know sometimes a novella, I'm just really in the mood for a book that size you know, like a story yeah. that's shorter um, and it was really good I really enjoyed that that's awesome okay final question uh what well not what uh, is your family excited to have a published author what's been uh, how, how are things going there is it uh I mean on, on release date is there going to be a a big party are you just going to hide away for <laughs> a week or so well, um, there is a book launch in Belfast um, on the 1st of September in Waterstones, which I'm very happy about. That's the bookshop mm. I shop in. So, um, so you'll be there. Yeah, so I'll be there. Oh, exciting. Okay. <laughs> nice. um, but it's actually funny. Um, my box of books came today. Wow. And ah. um, so like, I was opening the box and my uh-huh. husband was really excited. And my eight-year-old came in and went, oh, bubble wrap. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome and it's that's the important amazing. things yeah well, uh-huh. that was amazing and that just made us all laugh because yeah you know kids they haven't read my story obviously 
um, but they are proud, you know, they are excited by it, mm-hmm. but not as much uh, as they're excited by bubble wrap. <laughs> <laughs> Hard to be bubble wrap. A, I know. Yeah. That's it. I know. So, um, yeah, no, so everyone is excited. My mom and dad are very excited too. So um, hopefully the book launch will be lots of fun and I'll see lots of my family and friends. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, okay so yeah, yeah, so we've decided to uh, start a new tradition here. So, because okay. we've been getting kind of like more and more authors and guests on. And so we wanted to start this tradition with you. So we don't have a question, but um, we want you to ask a question of our next guest. We don't know who that is, but they will have to respond to that question. You know, sorry to put you on the spot here, but um, take a second to think about a question that you would like to ask our next. Okay. Best book that they have ever read. Oh, okay. Okay. Best book. Okay. Usually we try to kind of make the question a little bit to like, oh, what are some books that you enjoy? And, you know, make make it a little bit uh, open to whatever they want to say. But uh, this sounds pretty serious. The number (laughs) one best book. Number one. Yeah, yeah no, no beating around the bush. Okay. <laughs> I like it. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. We'll write, we'll make sure to note that. Okay. Awesome. Well, good. thanks so I'm much, Shauna. Yeah. Really <laughs> yeah, no, thank you guys for inviting me on to, to your show, your podcast. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, this has been super fun. And I guess thank you. Like you've uh I think you're one of the first people that joined our Discord. So it's been super fun watching the process over the years. And it, we've had a lot of secondhand excitement about this. So it's Super fun to read the book, and uh, I highly recommend everybody picks picks up a copy. So, well, thanks. No, your Discord is brilliant. Um, I definitely have loved all the book club picks and just all the general chat. Um, yeah. Especially during lockdown, when you know nobody was able to go out, so it was <laughs> lovely to have a bit of a community yeah. where you could talk about what you're up to and what you're reading and what you're watching and enjoying. Yeah, it's been it's been fun for us too. Okay, so September first right um except in america you need to wait two months for the hardcover but you can still get the ebook on september 1st the children of gods and fighting men shauna lawless if you're watching if you're still listening at this point and you don't know all of that not really sure what you've been <laughs> listening to but uh, those are those are the important details right yes mm-hmm. yes awesome all right thanks again shauna right. okay thank you Stephen. thanks ben see ya bye-bye